0: back to neil haley show and also the media giant effect and i'm excited to welcome to the show from lopez versus lopez mayan and selena skies thanks for stopping by you know what mine did you ever think that that you would be doing a show with your father like this, this has got to be awesome right how it started and everything tell me how it kind of developed
1: um it actually developed from tiktok <laughs> i was kind of um like Lopez versus Lopez um sometimes it was Lopez versus Lopez in real life <laughs> and uh for, the, for a lot of it and um so sometimes the only way my dad and I could communicate with each other through jokes and um I was out of college and wanting to be a comedian and just found the medium of TikTok I made a TikTok um kind of commenting on family things and um I was twerking while doing it because why not try to get to- attention <laughs> that upside way down. upside <laughs> down twerking uh, I go for the joke and uh, Debbie Wolf our showrunner saw that and she immediately thought that it was a it was the t- this type of show and saw the other content that I had made about my parents divorce and um, it was something that just kind of came about I never we never thought in a million years that we would be doing a show together but I think it's something that is so special to both of us and right. I think our relationship represents a lot of relationships whether it be father-daughter mother son you know vice versa um that it's healing and forgiveness and talking about mental health and like you know we it's a vegetable that goes deeper and wider than we have and I'm glad that people are enjoying it so far
0: and Salinas when you were asked to do the show were you that was interesting to have a story that kind of show developed based on a true story right something developed into something right
2: yeah it, it it was you know i didn't know what to expect you know i didn't know because this was now i you know now working with george working with mine i see that although they are playing themselves they are playing real fictional mm-hmm. themselves you know so so it it was in the beginning i didn't know what to expect um because i was going to work with an icon such as george lopez that in alone was intimidating um the multi uh, camera universe was was also not familiar for me uh and then stepping into to play a fictional version of the mom for this duo that is a real duo
1: yeah she didn't know who you have to break us up yeah you yeah. <laughs> know
2: like, am I going to be the outsider but what I can say, it's been a joy to work with them, a joy to work with this cast and also really wonderful to see how these two, George and mine, the real George and mine, uh, are healing and are mending and are and have a really beautiful relationship. They have their own language, too. We do <laughs> they have their own language. They're like off to the side and they're like giggling and finishing each other's sentences and quoting movies. And, and it's it's really wonderful to see. Yeah, it's nice. Well,
0: my, and I'm so glad. 30 seconds kind of tell us how that relationship, how happy are you doing the show with your father?
1: It's it's more than I could have ever imagined. It makes me happy every single day. Um, I know that whether no matter how long the show goes, our relationship is going to be solid from here on out. And to have the respect for him and him to have the respect for me, not only as a daughter, but as a coworker is something that I'd never expected. And I'm grateful that this is the life that I get to live, making people laugh alongside him. And that is something that greatest gift and greatest joy.
0: Fantastic. Awesome. Lopez Lopez, Lopez, Fridays at 8 p.m. on NBC. Thanks again, guys, for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thank
1: Thank you for having us, Neil. Thank
0: you. Uh, You're welcome. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show. We'll be back. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show and growing older with enthusiasm with our host, Dr. Ron Kaiser. Dr. Ron, how are you? I know you're excited about our guest today.
3: Yeah, doing great. Really looking forward to speaking with our guest today, who is Joanna Medin, who is the CEO of On The Move Mini Tread. It's On The Move Mini Tread. When I saw the material about it, I really got excited because, you know, I'm all about movement and people staying active, and this looks like a great thing, but I don't know that much about it. So Joanna, uh, welcome, really looking forward to to learning about you and your product.
4: Thank you, it is great to be here with you.
3: So why don't we start with just finding out, number one, what is uh, On The Move Mini Tread? And because I know it's it's something that can help a whole lot of people if we know about it.
4: It, it is. So I'll give you a little bit of background on how the company got going and how I got involved with it. And that will give you a lot of the reason that I feel so passionate about this product. Um, my business partner, Patrick Netter, was known as the gear guru and um, spent his whole life looking at fitness products and helping to promote them. And I've known him a long time <laughs> since i was a kid actually and so he called me with his ideas sometimes he's an idea person and i had just lost my mom and he called me up and said i have this great idea for a product and told me that he was sitting in his living room one day and he has a ton of fitness equipment in his home and found And looked at his treadmill and said, I wonder. And said, I want to do a treadmill that's really a miniature version that can be used while people are seated. And I thought about it and knew that if my mom had had something like that under her feet, because she couldn't walk anymore, she wasn't strong enough, she had no balance that it would have extended her life. And I felt that it was definitely a passion and something I wanted to do because it could really make an honest difference in people's ability to continue to engage those muscles and increase circulation um, without having to worry about falling off.
3: So it's a treadmill that you can use sitting down.
4: Yeah, it's about the size of of an airline seat cushion. So it's about 20 inches by 20 inches. Um, We intentionally made it with a wired remote because our our primary focus is aging and seniors. um, And we do a lot with the um, vision impaired. Um, So we made a wired remote so it wouldn't get lost. Mm -hmm. And we made the buttons very textural and large so that you feel the O for on switch, the X for off switch, the triangular up arrow, down arrow for speed, and you turn it on and off using that remote. So we really put a lot of thought into making it safe for older adults, those with mobility limitations or balance concerns. And um, we actually, so normal treadmills start, full-size treadmill start at 0.5 miles per hour, which can be a little fast when you don't have a lot of muscle strength. So we made it start at 0.3. So if you can lift your legs, you can use this product. And then if you can stretch your leg forward, your muscle engagement is, I'd say about 91, 92% equivalent to that of a standing treadmill. So it kind of feels like a cross between a bicycle and a treadmill because you're seated.
0: Wow, and so, uh, go ahead, Dr. on another question. It
3: raises lots of questions. Uh, first of all, sure. uh, I, I understand that it's uh, probably designed for and most helpful for people who have some mobility issues, but there's a lot of people who spend too much of their day sitting and have their legs available to use something like this while they're working or whatever, um, and I'm wondering: is it, are the settings high enough that the average person doesn't feel that they're using something that's uh, too easy for them, or that that isn't motivating enough? I mean, one of the, the things with the treadmill in the gym is, no matter what your what your level is, you can find a level to to make it challenging. How, how's this work?
4: Yes, that's a really good question, actually. So um, it starts at 0.3 and it goes up to 2.5 miles per hour, which on a standing treble would be the equivalent of about five to six miles per hour. And it's it's funny you ask that question because one of our partners is the NFL Retired Players Congress. Mm -hmm. And when I first went down to their offices, you know, I got to meet a lot of old Super Bowl pros, which was really exciting. I had to like leave the room and call my son and go, okay, who's this person? (laughs) Because I wasn't familiar enough. But they looked at it and they were like, this isn't really going to do anything. And I said, just humor me and sit in the chair and and try it. And so they did. I had um, um, Bob Grant, who's the chairman of the NFL Retired Players Congress. And and Mike Haynes was there and and Harold Jackson and a few others. And they sat down and started using it. And within about 30 seconds, they were like, whoa, I really feel this. I feel it in my hamstrings. So yes, the answer is absolutely. And and you know, I use it when I'm sitting at my desk on Zooms, et cetera. And and because there's no hip engagement, right? So it's, it's calves, hamstrings, um, quads, core glutes, but you're not moving back and forth because you're not pushing anything up and down, right? So you can use it while you're on a zoom and nobody's going to know it, but you won't, you know, have that, that moment on an hour zoom where you're starting to nod off, right? (laughs) Because your blood is still circulating, (laughs)
3: Yeah, I
0: think that's, that's such a great thing and it's going to change the way people can, you know, keep in shape, especially uh, with working people or retirees or different people that don't have the mobility. I think that's the the thing you hope with this product, but it looks like it's going to fit a lot of other needs, too. Yeah.
3: yeah. Tons of questions uh, along those lines. So, Neil, you're going to have to interrupt me to, okay. to get answers, um, one of which is... Uh, does does posture have an effect on it? In other words, I, I'm wondering if you're doing all this stuff, but slouching or leaning back, or you're in too comfortable a chair, is that is that an issue or is that? Uh, what know?
4: we usually encourage, um, and I mean, anyone who sits is encouraged to do this. If you are sitting up straight, your core is engaged. The stronger your core, the better your posture. Um, and if people tend to slouch, we suggest put a pillow behind you if you're going to lean back, um, because when you're using your 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 core is engaged. Um, but if we can encourage people to sit up straight and not do that C posture. But even with the C posture, if you just take your legs while you're sitting right now without having a mini trend under your feet and push your legs forward as if you're walking, um, you'll feel that core engagement. So, um, I recently was, um, down in Southern California and was at, uh, and went to the home of a blind couple that are using the mini tread just c- so I could see how they're using it. And, and one of the things that we worked on was sit up straight and you'll get more core engagement and that's going to help you with your balance everywhere.
3: Can a person see this or use it as part of a more comprehensive program in other words um like right now i'm looking at the possibility of of getting a a desk that's adjustable to standing i know we get lots of information that we shouldn't sit too long and so on um so number one is there any danger that it's going to encourage too much sitting uh and secondly uh are there are, are there recommended other things so that the uh upper body gets work or is it seen as more of a comprehensive thing or again more for the person who just has mobility issues but it has other uses
4: um on the first question um you never stand on this this is used while seated only and the people that are going to get up and walk around will still do that Um, we say use it for half an hour stop do something else, walk around for a little while and then come back and you can use it as often as you like. Um, on the, on the second question, um, the, we have just completed a series of four video workouts that include both upper body, upper body integrating with lower body, like, um, doing seated jumping jacks right you lift your legs up while you're one at a time while you're using the mini tread and use your arms we use resistant bands we use weights so yeah full body workout is our goal and we just that finished for 15 minute workouts
0: wow Perfect.
3: that sounds wonderful
0: that's it well wow. i'm just i'm blown away by this and what do you think your major target market is that you're trying to reach for this product
4: our our Passion target market is older adults and those with balance and mobility issues because there's so much immediate benefit. Um, there's um someone in Colorado that I just uh worked with to um he's stroke recovery and his balance is awful, but it's so important that he keeps using his legs. So as his he's building his strength. Um that that's that's where the passion lies, but it really can be used, you know, as Dr. Kaiser says, um, for anyone that's working at home, um, sitting at a desk and um, really, yeah, you can go to the gym for an hour every day, but you know those other 10 hours you're still sitting. So it, it's healthier to move those legs and keep that circulation going. It's really,
3: really intriguing. It's the kind of thing that you kind of wonder, geez, why didn't somebody think of this? You know, earlier that it seems like, uh, you know, for for many people for a long time, uh, there's been kind of the assumption that when you're when you're seated, you're sedentary and you can't do a whole lot uh, unless you then get up and stretch and do stuff like this. It just seems like such a great concept and of course with older adults balance becomes a major issue falls is such a uh, such a big problem and anything that anything that that strengthens the person's legs their ability to balance more effectively is is great so uh, really happy to hear about this
4: Thank you. I, I can't take credit for the original idea. It Was Patrick Netters? Um, we actually held back for a while because we wanted to get our patents in order, and um, so I'm I'm excited that we now have patents in six countries.
0: That's fantastic. And We're so, only
4: marketing in the U.S. right now, though.
0: But it's, but it's it's definitely uh, coming along. Where's best place people can find information on the product and stuff?
4: Our website is on the move. So that's O-N-T-H-E-M-U-V, which stands for movement unleashes vitality. And so it's on themove.com or minitread.com. We'll get you there. Uh, my email is Joanna, J O A N N A at onthemove.com.
0: Excellent. It's great information, Doctor Ron, and it's another thing. Uh, I uh, definitely a product that older adults are going to definitely need, especially especially at the the, the sedentary time when they retire. Lots of people decide to become sedentary and watching TV and doing all these different things. To have a product like this can really change things for them. And especially even the people that sit for 14, 15 hours a day want to exercise, don't have the time to exercise. It adds another component, doesn't it, Dr. Ron, to what you talk about rejuvenating her product?
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's not something where you now have to fit in time for the gym or whatever it may be. And of course, uh, you know, people are living longer. It's not a not a great idea if you're going to live longer without good quality of life and health is a major component of quality of life and this helps to promote it. So uh, really glad to hear about it.
0: Great stuff. All right. That was again the Neil Haley show and growing older with enthusiasm. Thanks again, Joanna, for stopping by. Take care. Thanks for having me. The camera's on and oh my gosh, I'm Neil, the media giant Haley. And I'm excited about a new podcast the Media Giant Marketing Podcast. Oh my goodness, started a new podcast. And what we're going to do is cover articles that have come out with the experts. And I'm going to break down each article, read the article, and then make it into a blog and make it into a book and really kind of just give that expertise level. You want to follow me, follow me on all different social media platforms, but make sure you click that subscribe button because there's a lot of great celebrity interviews, a lot of great interviews and all these different things. So I'm gonna click on seven content marketing best practices in 2023. And so content is king, we all know that. And if you aren't able to build content, you're not going to be able to resonate with people. So here are seven content marketing best practices in 2023. This came according to SEJ content marketing. Learn more about the seven best practices and let's go right into it, shall we? All right, let's start out with does a new year mean. So let's look at the number one. Number one, using the customer voice in your content. Using customer voice in your content will always be a best practice in content marketing. It's, it's also the most important one. You need to make sure you're matching your content to what the customer is actually searching for. Bottom line, guys, I'm seeing so many people posting out there and they're posting stuff without really telling their voice, who they are, what they're doing, and how they can help people. When you have to figure out the people and you're not giving that cus- using the customer voice in your content and speaking to your ideal customer avatar, you're missing out. And a lot of people post, I can help you, but they don't really know who their customer is. We need to figure that out. With, ID, ideal, uh, with an ICA, an ideal customer avatar, and all that stuff. Create content using the hub and spoke content marketing model. Let's hear what they say. Let's see, see how I break it down. Google has always been cared about ranking websites that they show they're authoritative around the particular topic. The better way to show Google and customers you know what you're talking about than creating a, a lot of content around the topic. One of the best ways is to do hub and spoke content marketing model. I have no idea what this means. This is a content marketing model is used to relate it to using the customer's voice because you need to ensure content you're writing for demand first. It isn't a new model to the world of content marketing. Using the hub and spoke model, you build authority around a hub, which is typically one of the main business lines of your services. The spoke content is usually composed of questions related to the hub or different parts of the buyer's journey. You're asking your customers questions. You're saying how you can help them, what pain points they've gone through. It's common sense, people aren't doing it in marketing. So spend time not looking at paid content, but looking at content of people. Are they really telling people, hey, I can help you do this? Or are they really explaining their their super genius? Create content based on result types. However, new types of results appear on Google all the time. As a result, the search engine result pages have become very crowded with variety of different result types. Similar to making sure the keywords are targeting in your search volume, we also need to make sure we're structuring our content in a relevant way where Google will want to surface and show our content. So, you know, we think about long form content. A few result types have become extremely popular this year. The biggest beginning short form videos, 10 to 30 seconds up to five minutes with the rise of TikTok, Instagram reels, Short-form content like shorts, it's big. And I, I do this all the time for my clients. When creating content on your site, make sure to look at, to see what's already showing up on Google and what competitors are doing. Competitor analysis is so huge, guys. If we're not looking at our competitors and we're looking at specifically what they're doing and how they're doing it, we're not going to show up on Google based on that. Visual content industry also makes content more digestible, enticing to show on social media. Measure your content for ROI. ROI is huge. Let's hear what they have to say. This isn't necessarily a new trend, but it's another one that will always be best practice for content marketing. It's challenging to tie ROI to something in SEO or organic channel, unlike paid media or email marketing, which is more clear cut with accessible uh, conversion rates and key metrics. So so it's challenging to look at ROI in SEO or organic channels, unlike paid because you're not gonna be able to do that with the ROI is, you're gonna to have to really ask your customers, see where they've gone, where they've happened. One of the things that's a litmus test is if you hired hire a marketer and your business has grown from the current customers you're already seeing, what is that saying? What it's saying is that they love your new content, they resonate it with you, and they're more willing to tell people or say they're gonna buy. When we make changes, we change our brand in specific ways and become more attractive to our ideal customers, our customers are going to flock to us. AI-generated content is here, but don't fall for the hype. I'm not going to agree all this because AI content is a great resource. It's great for our tool belt, but let's see what they have to say. It's all happening. AI-generated content has finally arrived in the masses, but don't fail for the hype. There are so many acronyms recently, VR, virtual reality, AR, augmented reality, NFTs, And people believe they're going to break through and become the future. However, none of them become the mainstream disruptors as pitch desk. He's not a futurist, ladies and gentlemen. NFTs, AR, VR, if we're not learning it now, oh my gosh. So I'd love to debate this guy. Uh, I'm going to make sure I put the link to the article in the show notes so you could check out the article, but I'm disagreeing completely on this. No way. VR, AR, and NFTs. You ever heard of Jeff Bezos? Jeff Bezos did not want to make profit for 20 years. If some of you guys say, I'm going to become the best VR podcaster, or the best VR blogger, or the best VR this, or the best AR, or, the, or I'm going to create an NFT for something no one's ever created before. And you hold on and spend time and money and take over the trajectory. It's, it's unbelievable. So let's hear also, they say, AI will be around for long haul as well as we make our life easier in many different ways. They're not mainstream disruptors. This is what this group's thinking. There are cases of AI services such as ChatGVT for research, creating schema. Google recently has other types of guidelines. So I disagree with this completely. Re-optimize and repurpose your outdated, unperforming content. Love it. You need to repurpose content repurposing content. I'm not even going to go further. The power of podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. You create this pod. I'm going to take all this content and throw it and roll it in 30 second reels. Everything from reels, TikTok, uh, shorts, uh, Facebook. I'm going to put it everywhere. Twitter. I'm going to take all this content I'm creating. Repurpose it into a blog. Repurpose it into a book. The media giant's book, it's all there for us. Number seven, break down the silos between teams and internally, if you haven't already. This is much of your best practice for content strategy, best practice for any company creating content. Creating content and site involves a lot of moving pieces. Most people think it's only the content team's job, but there are design, product teams, development, blah, 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 blah. You know what they're doing? They're charging a ton of money. Sorry, guys. I tell it like it is. A lot of good stuff in that article. I will be covering an article every day on the Media Giant Marketing Podcast. A brand new podcast will be available on YouTube. And you're going to really see what I my thoughts are on marketing. We have to KIS it all day long. Keep it simple. If we're not keeping it simple, we're going to fall for these lies. They're going to tell you to do these things because they want to hire you. The reason why people create things on Google is a good strategy because they want you to not think you can't accomplish this stuff. Put the time in, put the effort in, keep growing your business, become an authentic voice. And if you have any questions, make sure you like and subscribe to my channel, like and subscribe to the new podcast. And contact me anytime. You could schedule a call today by going ahead and going to com slash neil Haley and either schedule a interview if you're a business or schedule a strategy session with me. I appreciate you, you coming by. Look forward to more and more conversations. Take care, guys. We're back to the Neil Haley show and also the media giant effect. And my guest today is Inspiring Women and inspiring little girls. And I really am impressed by her, Dr. Samantha Pillay. Uh, Dr. Samantha, thanks for stopping by. And oh my goodness, tell us how you broke the glass ceiling and now how how you want to help others break that same glass ceiling.
5: Thank you, Neil, for having me. I had a dream that I could do what I wanted to do, despite what a lot of people said. And that was become a surgeon. Part of that was influenced by a large amount of time in hospital and a lot of surgery as a child due to a congenital problem um, that wasn't picked up with my hips. I started school in a wheelchair. Um, wasn't They weren't sure if I was ever going to walk. Um, I went on to finish school at the age of 16 and do medicine. And everyone sort of said, you can do anything you want except be a surgeon because you can't stand and operate for a long time. So I became a surgeon. And then I became the first female urological surgeon in South Australia. And it was really about having that dream and that vision that allowed me to overcome the obstacles. And so we want to remove obstacles, but we can't always remove obstacles. And so the other side for people to believe that they can do it. And I always believe that if I can do it, anyone can. And you've got to have that dream and that belief fundamental. That's got to be step one. No doubt. One, after that, everything else will follow. You'll either find the things that are there to help you or you'll change the world to make the world the, what you want it to be. And I also believe change, make the change you want to see in the world. So I realized that probably the biggest thing I could do to inspire the next generation started young, those career gender stereotypes, where if those young girls really believed early on that they could do it, they would find a way. And that also people had perceptions about surgery that it wasn't a good job for a woman, that if you did that, you know, people used to say when I was a young medical student, the guys, you know, I want to be a surgeon. Everyone was like, wow, I say I want to be a surgeon and they'd say, oh, don't you want to have kids? I didn't get the, the guys didn't get that question. So changing society's perception of being a good mother is, you know, something not something you compromise if you want to be groundbreaking, led me to write... Children's picture books is the best way to make the change. Prevention, and it comes my health hat. You know, we all know with health, prevention is better than cure. Trying to um, end career gender stereotypes. I want to prevent career gender stereotypes.
0: And and what you're doing is amazing to show little girls, they too could be you. They too could be an astronaut. They too can be an entrepreneur. They too could be whatever they choose to be. Just because they're a little girl does not stop them from doing that. And you want a global movement. And how's that global bo- movement been going so far with your books, with your merch, and all that stuff?
5: Fantastic. So, um, when I'm an astronaut, it's been a uh, number one be- bestseller in the US. And one of the categories when I'm a surgeon has been in Australia. So, I'm now an international bestseller. Um, uh, it's fantastic to read the reviews that uh, like I just love going on to Amazon and just reading the reviews that people have written about the books. It's really, as a surgeon, I help people on a micro scale, you know, one-on-one, I can only operate on one person at a time. And to then have uh, thousands of books being sold around the world into other countries is a really uh, such a privilege in my lifetime to be able to have had that opportunity. Um, and now what we've gone into is trying to make it Fashionable, so little, you know. Rather than oh, a princess is fashionable, but a surgeon isn't really uh, girly. Trying to change those preconceived ideas. So we've got a, a, a international e-commerce online merchandise store with using the beautiful pictures from the the, the books. So you've got little surgeons and astronauts on uh, backpacks and drink bottles and stickers. To make these things appealing, so rather than oh, you know, if you're interested in STEM, you have to look like Thelma from Scooby Doo. No, that's you know, these stereotypes need to change.
0: Oh wow! And show the bottle. I want to show that bottle. That's so, so this nice. Is,
5: yeah, this is the surgeon one. Um, so uh, the from the first book when I'm a surgeon. So she uh is the first character, and then there's a the, the um. It's a different girl in each book um, of different cultural background um, for each book when I'm an entrepreneur and when I'm an astronaut. Each book's got also an activity, um, colouring in book and puzzles. Um, People can actually go to my website, samanthapillay.com, and download some free colouring in um, pages if they want for kids. And there's STEM resources for teachers to use in schools that we've developed, uh, for a STEM program for schools, and links to all the books and the and and there's for people to kind of really get excited about these things uh, and and engaged. And it's not about wanting to be a surgeon. It's about believing that you could be a surgeon and that curiosity and that self belief will allow someone to then go on and be something else. You know, this generation might not be those careers. They could be careers that don't even exist, but that self belief that you can do that uh, is what it's about.
0: Yeah. And we used to a long time ago, you know, pick a career, you know, as kids say, I want to be this, I want to be that. And it seems like always somebody breaks that dream saying you can't do it. And it's good to show that the dreams like, you know, OK, women should go here. Men should go here. And this is the career choices. No, it's what you truly are passionate about, what you're happy about, because a lot of people get stuck in careers. They can't stand. They don't enjoy. They don't feel, you know, rewarded and things like that. And and Dr. Samantha, you feel rewarded for what you've done. And that's yes, what I've, yeah.
5: I've been able to do much more than I've even thought that I would be able to do as a surgeon and that was a p- part of the reason behind the, th- the book. It's not just about seeing patients and operating on people. You know, there's research, um, you know, different people have different areas that they Im- involve p- in their career, public speaking, teaching—you know—I've gone in. I never thought that I'd be writing children's picture books as a surgeon, um, or um, online merchandise, or public speaking on gender uh, equality. So these are a whole lot of opportunities that career has led me to. Just like many of these careers um, can lead to other areas, um, you know. Even if you think about astronauts, how much of the time they actually spend in space? You know, not a lot of their career. So um these can be wonderful careers that open up a lot of opportunity and it's i really wanted to dispel the myth that surgery there was this sort of stigma that surgery was not a good uh career if you're a woman and yet I've written articles you know on my website about why it should be the best career for a woman you know I'm self-employed I can organize school sports day if I want I've got extra resources for you know childcare that I wouldn't have had um and so it's our uh, and huge access to experiences for my child that I never would have had if I hadn't had that career. So for me, for me, not the same for everyone else, I'm much more fulfilled and I'm a better mother um, and able to do the things that are important to me because of my career choice. And so not everyone fits in the same box.
0: What is, so what is the ultimate goal with this series? Are you going to write more books?
5: Hopefully, it's obviously a bit of a juggle because I still work as a surgeon, and uh, I also very interested in business and entrepreneurship, and run a business. So,
0: what what other business do you run?
5: I have a medical centre, so um, that I own and run where surgeons work. So, a medical practice that I've had for twenty-one years. We just actually were finalists in the business awards in our state uh, just a week ago. So uh, I'm interested in mentoring business groups and startup businesses and do some business lecturing as well. So I have ended up with many hats as a surgeon. And I think that can help inspire people to think outside the square and make their careers what they want it to be.
0: Fantastic. Best place people can go. Where can they go? You really got it going for sure, Dr. Samantha.
5: So samanthapillay.com is the easiest place that's got links to um, uh, the books. Uh, Amazon and all the online retailers have the books and the pitch, the picture books and the activity books. Um, shop samanthapillay.com, which is also linked to my website, is the merchandise uh for some for some fun at that people like that even for corporate gifts it's not just kids <laughs> we're all kids at heart so um i, I love be- being able to bring a smile to people's faces absolutely when they, when we they
0: really appreciate it it's such a great thing for sure take care now
5: thank you so all much right, neil.
0: You're listening and watching the neil haley show and we'll be back in just a moment we're back to the neil haley show and also the media giant effect and it's really interesting when i've talked to lots of coaches They end up losing their players and are on the shelf because of getting a concussion. They were diagnosed with a concussion, potential concussion, how long they're going to be out, which is, it's just really a bad situation and it really runs into big problems and they try everything. They go and send them to a specific doctor. They're on the shelf. There's no reason they're just going to rest. There's no real rehab. They might go to another specialist that says, you know what? He's not going to play for six months And coaches are pulling their hair out because of this. And they tried everything. Well, we all know, I didn't know this till I met Dr. Charles Simcovich, that he is able to reverse concussions and CTE. And so what should coaches do? Should they just give up now because when it happens, and that's not the case, right? They have a chance to get their players to be back player ready a
6: lot more quickly than people expected with concussions, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, when attacking a problem, you have to understand what's causing the problem and then how to remedy it. And you can't fix a problem until you know what the source of the problem is. Concussions have been widely misunderstood for years and years and years. And uh, multiple different specialties have tried to address the problems from a concussion. What we do, let's look at the father of orthopedic medicine, Dr. Cyriax, who's from England, he stated, his, his one statement sums it up. When you have a traumatic injury, the treatment must reach the source of the injury. So what specialties are out there that deal with the source of a concussion, which basically is you've had your head hit, or there's trauma to the head and brain, or the cranial bones in the brain, and this encompasses a whole... Um, syndrome of multiple things because your eyes get involved your 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 circulation of the brain circulate of blood circulation of csf and so while there's a lot of specialties that are great in remediating problems the, the cranial movement therapy which is what i was a part of researching and what we do actually restores the normal functionality of the skull which enables the brain to uh, re- rehabilitate quicker than anything and quicker than any other modality that's out there. And it gets to the source of the problem. I'm going to give you another, uh, an, an example of somebody, a, a, a real life coach was a fellow named Jose Davis. He was a basketball and football star for Kent state. And he went to Bel Air, Ohio and was coaching their high school football team for a while. Well, they had their games on Saturdays. And he said, if a kid had a concussion, they didn't see the doctor till Monday, and he said he lost them all for four to six weeks, which was basically the season. He had a boy that he referred to me because he went to traditional type of, of, of treatments, which was rest or vision therapy or vestibular therapy or physical therapy, and even some sad cases, anti-anxiety or anti-depression medicines, which they did not have the faulty cranial bone movement restored properly, which would would have healed the brain quicker so Jose sent me a patient years ago was injured in a game on a Saturday drove into my office they didn't re instant or retake the impact test which was what tells them whether they're good enough to go back to play until the next Thursday well this fella had not played an entire season since his freshman year and he was a senior uh, sure sure enough he had a concussion the first game, brought him here. He ended up getting treated. He ended up making it the entire season his senior year. Never did that before. So Jose knew, listen, we get these kids remediated immediately. And he didn't have one place, one person lose a season because he would get them here and get them remediated. And they're not out four, six, eight weeks. And they all passed the impact test, which allowed the athletic director and the trainer to say, "Yeah, they're cleared to play." So Jose started just putting him in his car and driving him here, and he understood the real reason why what you need to do to help these kids heal properly. Um, it's not a mystery; it's just doing the right thing.
0: It's definitely not a mystery. It's doing the right thing, and that's just that's just amazing. What should they look out for? What are the lookouts for, especially? for players so that their their performance is better a lot of times what happens after concussions it's harder for them to come back in a stronger way and be successful on the court whatever playing playing facility they're playing in and coaches stress out saying well what should i do they're not they're not at their optimal level should they be ready what kind of signs should they look at that they're clear to play? What would you say are the different things?
6: Well, I'll 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 give you an example of a young girl who's in tenth grade. Just left my office ten minutes ago. She plays basketball and volleyball. Before she uh, got referred here, she was dizzy. Any kind of physical and cognitive exertion, such as in school, would make her dizzy. It would it would it would make her nauseous. It would trigger a headache. Her vision was blurred. Uh, she was. Tired. A little bit of activity would make her tired. So these are the kind of things they want to look for: dizziness, increased headache, uh, tiredness, balance issues. A lot of players will have balance issues. If they're having this with increased exertion or increased cognitive, such as in school um, uh, things, they you 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 probably have an issue. Uh, something is not physiologically working the way it should. If we look at the way the skull moves, you're, uh, I'm gonna look at the sphenoid bone, your eye muscles attached to it. So if this is compromised, if it's tilted in any way, a lot of times some eye muscles be elongated, elongated. some will be shortened. So what the, what does that mean in real life? Your eyes aren't going to track real well. So if you have to use your eyes a lot, such as in reading in school, you're probably gonna get tired because it's hard for your eyes to move. Or you might it might trigger headache because you have to work harder to move your eyes. Or you'll reread the same line over and over, or skip words when you're le- reading, or lose your place when you're reading. In sports, what's that mean? If you're a hockey goalie, you're gonna have a heck of a time following that puck that's coming at you. If you are hitting, trying to hit a baseball, following that baseball in and hitting it, your your, your batting average is gonna drop. I had a fella from north of here ended up being drafted into the minors before his concussion. He was leading the league, Whipple in home runs, batting average. He got a concussion. His batting average dipped to under hundred. He had no home runs. His dad brought him here, and boom, he ended up. Uh, he got remediated, and and he ended up leading the league in home runs. So it corrected that problem, and it was all due to eye tracking. Also, if you have an issue with with the sphenoid not moving properly, you have three cranial nerves that pass through foramen or openings in the sphenoid that control eye movement, cranial nerve three, four, and six, the oculomotor, trochlear, and abducens. So in addition to an eye muscle problem, you have a nerve supply that moves the eyes that can be compromised. Plus the optic nerve passes through the sphenoid, which is what sends signals to your brain of what you're seeing. This is why a lot of people after concussions have problems with bright lights or or dizzying patterns in, 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 um, in carpeting and things like that. Then you then you add to the fact that you can have what's called a sphenobasilar fault, which is a fancy word that basically says you're not getting enough brain to your mid uh, blood to your midbrain. That's going to cause short term memory issues, balance problems, hand eye coordination, and so there's a, a whole bunch of things that make perfect sense when you understand the mechanics of a concussion and why this physiology of proper cranial bone movement needs to be restored and why it's so successful and how you can help these these people who have suffered from concussions
0: it's it's wow it's a it's a wow factor to think about specifically what's happening uh, with concussions let me jump to this other point uh the the signs you talked about the signs of concussions the different things what do you do first when the injury occurs and you think that that player has a concussion what are your so,
6: recommendations uh, see if their eyes are reacting and their pupils are dilating or if they're fixed and that's easy enough a lot of people say well i don't have a pen light like, when well, you cover both of their eyes in in light and you remove your eye and the pupil should be reacting see if they're reacting see if their balance is off if they can walk um a lot of them will actually look confused ask questions that, of, of things they should know like days of the week and months you know when was your birthday you know if there's confusion uh if there's any sign of confusion or, or even if they're saying listen my head's hurting or or I, you know if they're stumbling um and the eyes will get glazed over uh these are things the immediate things you can look for and I would not put them back in, in to play uh I mean these this is the quick check um uh and that will tell the story if these symptoms continue, then there are some cases where you, you need to do it. The first thing would be a CT scan because that sees a gross bleed. Um, if if it continues longer, then you do an MRI that sees a finer bleed. And there's a bunch of diagnostics. Well, most of those are the big things. They can't see a concussion on CT or MRI, but it sees any pathology, you know, if there's a bleed or a fracture or any anything um, uh, pathological like a tumor. Uh, or a chiari, or things like that. And then you can rule that out. You can't see a concussion on scan, but you can at least rule out any danger that would be life-threatening to this person.
0: All right. So this is such, such great information. Uh, the best place for people to go is
6: where? Uh, com. All
0: right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
7: Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't wanna miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Hi, and welcome to Women's CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Dr. Robin Short. She's the founder and CEO of Workplace Peace Institute, an organization development, consulting, and leadership training and research firm that brings peace and dignity to the workplace. She also works as a peace building trainer, mediator, racial equity consultant, and restorative justice facilitator. Dr. Short is also the founder and publisher of Good Media Press, founder and board chair of the Peace and and Conciliation Project and an adjunct professor at both Southern Methodist University and Bay Path University and has authored four books on peace building. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to hear more about what you do. Um, I love the name, first of all, Workplace Peace Institute. Tell me a little bit about, you know, a little bit more about what that organization does and and how you came up with it and how your journey uh, led you to start this company.
8: Sure. Thank you so much. I'm so happy uh, to be here with you both today. So Workplace Peace Institute uh, really started out of, I was working in, well, I began my career working in marketing communications. And the longer I was in my career, the more I moved into leadership positions, the more I became intrigued with Um, why it's so difficult for people to actually do the work they've come together to do. So I found myself getting more and more interested in um, the, the dynamics of human behavior and kind of less interested actually in marketing itself. And so I went back to school, got a second master's in conflict management dispute resolution, and um, decided to do a big career change. So about 10 years ago, I left marketing and started working as a workplace mediator, really specifically interested in helping people work through workplace conflict. So not really litigated, um, mediation, litigated conflicts, but just the dynamics of two people on a team whose conflicts have gotten so big that it's that it's rippled into other areas of the organization. And what I found over and over and over again is that the conflict that was happening that was manifesting in these two people was really... Um, a manifestation of something dysfunctional in the organization's system itself, and it could come through the people, and that's how we could see it. So I would help these two people or this team work through their conflict, but I wasn't able to get at the source of what was causing the conflict. So I went back to school, got my PhD in organization development and systems design, and opened workplace peace institute up in 2022 with the with the purpose of creating workplace cultures where people can thrive. And what that really means for me, where the the term workplace peace came from, is that the the definition of peace that I operate with is that peace is human security and the ability to live a life of dignity that's free of fear. So what that means is that I experience my basic human needs, I experience my inherent worth and value in the workplace, and I trust that that's going to consistently be the case, that that's not going to be taken from me. So we do that through culture development work, um, leadership development and training, conflict resolution, but I I have always been a very purpose-driven person and someone who finds purpose in my work, and um, when I have been in workplaces outside of organizations that I've owned, I have been in awe of how difficult it is for people to get along, and I think that really has to do with just a lack of skill set and a lot of other reasons, but I've always been really passionate about helping people um, navigate the workplace that they can do the thing that they're really passionate about and go home.
7: It's interesting interesting that that you became a negotiator, a workplace negotiator. I always say a good leader is a counselor, a therapist, and a negotiator. And we don't Mm -hmm. have enough of that in leadership uh, in general. Uh, when you decided to take that path and you went back to school, um, was that easy for you or was that something like completely different where you're like, I'm just going to go back to school and get another degree? Like, how, how did you approach that?
8: I have always been uh, a learner. I have I have been, a, a you know, a bookworm my whole life. I have always been on a path of ongoing education. And so it was exciting for me. And I, I graduated from undergrad, went immediately and got a master's, and then had about 12 years between that and uh, and going back for my second master's. And um, it the conflict resolution degree really attracts people who have been in their career for a while. So I felt like I was with my peers, um, which I think actually would have felt a little bit more... Um, I might have had some insecurities about sitting in a room with a bunch of people straight out of undergrad, <laughs> but I actually felt like I was with my peers. So it was, it was really exciting. And um, I at the time, I owned a marketing communications um, agency, a very small one, but it that gave me a lot of freedom to be able to manage my time to, to really focus on the schoolwork. That's great. So you found your intellectual
7: peers. So it didn't matter yeah. that that you may have been a different uh, age demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So so when you think about um, the work that you do, it, it is specifically around relationships, right? In human nature, whether you're in the workplace or you know home or family life, um, that is always so difficult, right? People have such a hard time with with relationships. Um where do you where do you see like the biggest area where people can improve their relationships? What should they focus on?
8: Mm. So I love that question. All of my work um is really grounded in the concept of basic human needs. And the model of basic human needs that I follow is um uh, from a scholar by the name of um, John Burton and his his perception of basic human needs is that they're not hierarchical, but that we are perpetually seeking all of our basic human needs. So we need justice, love, self-esteem, um, participation, self-fulfillment, belonging, inclusion, acceptance of our identity. We need all of those things. They don't build on each other. <laughs> and where I what I find really, Truly fascinating about the human experience is that we have an inherent awareness, like we physiologically respond to having a basic human need violation or to having a dignity violation, but we don't have the language to name what happened. And because we don't have the language to name what happened, We don't have the ability to actually be proactive in honoring basic human needs and dignity needs for others. So we're just walking around in this like constant state of vulnerability to having these things violated without having much awareness about how to actually be in good relationship with one another or to name what happened when when I find myself wanting to, you know, Fight, fight, freeze, or you know, flee. So, what I what I talk a lot about, and this goes back to what you said, that every leader needs to be a therapist, a negotiator, and one other a thing. counselor and a counselor, <laughs> a yes. counselor. Um, it's that we need that leaders need to have high proficiency in the dynamics of human behavior, and that's what I really see the primary role of the leader is not to be the primary subject matter expert not to be the person who knows how to delegate the best, but actually the person who knows how to mobilize people together to collaborate and to um, work together toward a shared purpose. And that's someone who is um, proficient in the dynamics of human behavior. You
7: know, it's interesting, Um, it, It so falls in line. I always say I became a much better leader when I had kids. Because and it's everything you're talking about, you're being very observant of your kids and their behaviors and and what their needs are and how they interact with each other. And that's when when you can see that when you have that full awareness of your teams and how they operate, um, you can nurture them and
8: help them to grow. And to that point, you know, if you have, you know, let's say you have three kids, they all need shelter, they all need food. But beyond that, you're going to motivate each of them really differently. And um, and we have to bring that same awareness to our teams. There's some core foundational needs that they all share. But if I'm going to build a really strong team, then I as the leader, have to be the person who's agile to the individual needs of the person on that team. And we have really been conditioned in all of our, like organizational structures, you know, from school to uh, you know, every sort of institute that we've been in, that, that we have to be agile to the leader's needs. And, um, and it doesn't really produce quality relationship or, or strong, strong teams. The, the, the leader is the person who is, I think, in responsibility to their teammates.
7: So how do you make sure when you start, when you start um, being aware? Because everything I teach is about self-awareness, right? So if you're teaching a leader to be aware of your of their teams, Based on their human basic human needs and the individual needs and and, and an awareness of everything that mm. th- that they're looking for, how do you make sure you don't cross that line? That's you know that HR line, right? Because it becomes very personal at that point. So how do you make sure that you keep that in a very professional manner in the workplace and you're you're um, helping someone with their pers- very personalized human needs without crossing
8: boundaries mm-hmm. yeah that's a great question so I do think that there is room for us to be more human humans in the workplace right to to so this idea of um professional behavior I I believe we need to just be real humans with one another now that doesn't mean I carry responsibility for all aspects of your life